because she got a new one, right? So I get the hand-me-downs. And, I, and the good news is I have an Apple Watch, right? The bad news is it alarmed me that my heart rate was really high, and it's never done that before. All right. So that was before I stepped up here for the, for the first service, and I asked the folks, you know, record the first service, uh, you know, just in case something happens, right? I'm a relatively healthy guy. This doesn't happen to me, right? So uh, my heart rate is all over the place right now. So uh, anyway, good thing you got it recorded. If I pass out or anything, just, yeah, just throw up the video, okay? Um, and uh, my wife's a nurse, you know, she can, she can take care of me. All right. No, I, I joke, but listen, this is, this is true. So actually, I'm in the sermon. You can pray for me, but I'm, I'm just, uh, I'll be holding on to the, to the podium today. All right. Uh, good news and bad news. This is true in many areas of life. And so what I wanted to turn to is Matthew 10, 32, 33, where God's word says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. Good news, right? That's good news for us. Here's the bad news. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Good news and bad news. If, you're a, if you are a, a believer in Jesus Christ today, and what do I mean by that? I mean that if you come to a genuine faith in who Christ is and what he's done on your behalf, that's a legitimate believer. Someone that says, no, I, I bring nothing to the, to the table when it comes to trying to please God. It is all about what Christ did on my behalf. I'm a sinner, destined for hell. And, and praise God, he sent his only son into the world to redeem me. That's, that's the good news. But if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and, and, and you do not have that assurance of your faith, please make sure that the bad news is not true of you. All right, come to faith in Jesus Christ. The bad news is, it says, whoever denies me. If you have not come to faith in the Son of God, you have denied the Son of God. Or you are in the process of denying the Son of God. And it doesn't bode well for you because we believe God's word is truth and that truth has set us free. But if you deny the truth, if you deny Jesus Christ, it says here that Jesus will deny you before the Father. And we've just discovered in, in, in this text not a couple weeks ago the whole idea that, that uh, we have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is constantly making intercession for us in the sense of he is perfect, he is righteous, and it's his righteousness that's been given to us. And so, but if you don't have that, it says here, uh, you will, uh, he, will not, uh, he will deny you before the Father, and that means in eternity in hell. That means you paying for the full weight and measure of all your sin rather than trusting in the simple gospel that Jesus has done that for you. So as, as we learned last week, we talked about opposition to Jesus is a sign of the times. That was at a 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. There was two signs. The first sign was opposition, right? Have we seen opposition to Jesus in our world? Without a doubt. You may have experienced it today. Uh, you'll experience it on, I, I, honestly, it's, it's rampant right now. Uh, the amount of times that Jesus' name is brought up in conversation, which has nothing to do with, ex- with exalting him. Uh, or or you, you see people turn to him in, in ways that, that are not um, honoring of God, right? So opposition to Jesus, this gospel thing that tells people they're sinners on their way to hell, 
that's the, the bad part of the good news. The good news is Jesus came to pay that debt, and, and he will receive you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of what we have in Christ. But there are people who are opposed to Jesus, and we see it more and more now that we are in the end times, which is what verse 18 starts off with, right? We, we know we're in the end times because of opposition. But the second sign we talked about in verse 19 is that the perseverance of, of genuine believers, right? Perseverance of Christians, not Christians in name, but Christians in faith, right? Perseverance of Christians is a sign of God's sovereignty. The fact, the fact that we keep keeping on, keeping on, the fact that we are actually experiencing opposition, experiencing sometimes some of us will experience persecution, whatever it might be, the fact that we are persevering in the now and the promise that we will persevere all the way to the last day, right? We will. If you're a believer, you are guaranteed eternity with God. We're going to touch on that in a little bit. But listen, there are those that are, do not persevere. And those that we have called from the last week's message, they're called little a antichrists. Those that have the spirit of the big A antichrist, right? Those that are driven by, by what this world has to offer and... and um, and that's not what drives us. So as we think about this big idea, the big idea for today, let me just pause and, and let me tell you how excited I am about chicken tenders. Do you like chicken tenders? All right. Christine and I had a wonderful experience just a few days ago. We, we, we walked in and, and, and we saw this sign. We were just going to get something to eat. And we saw this sign and it said, best chicken tenders in the world. And I thought, yeah, I get, I just happened to walk into this place and I get to have the best chicken tenders in the world. And so we bought the chicken tenders and we sat down and we ate and they were good chicken tenders, but they were not the best chicken tenders in all the world. I don't want to put them down. It was, a, it was I enjoyed it, but I was a little disappointed, right? So I, I think as we think about this idea that some people promise you something that just doesn't come to be, right? They put this out there, this like, hey, I've got, okay, for all the older folks in the room, I've got this bridge in Brooklyn, <laughs> right? Some of you younger folks are like, what is he talking about, right? For those of you that are living in the now and very caught up, like, hey, did you hear the new uh, uh, cheap Bitcoin that's out there? right? There is no such a thing, right? Listen, we, people are going to try and draw us to what they have to sell. And they're doing it with selfish motivations. They're trying to do it for their own benefit, or they're doing it out of ignorance, and they do not know that they're bringing you harm. Big idea. The gospel of Jesus Christ can never be improved upon. And there are people out there saying, oh, no, I've got the gospel, and it's Jesus Christ. I've got the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and something else. I've got the gospel. It's, it's the good news, but I have something you don't have, and it's a little bit better news because I, I have this secret information that not every Christian has. Do you know what we call people who take the gospel and add something or take something away from it? We call them cults. 
We call them people with the spirit of the Antichrist because they are taking the truth of God and they're twisting it into something that either is going to benefit them or harm us or both. So have this big idea in your head as we go through this text. We're going to work our way through verses 20 through 27. Uh, So the gospel of Jesus Christ can never be improved upon. If you have it, you have all you need. All right, so we're going to look, we're going to break this down into four groups of two texts, two verses each, right? So the first, first section here is uh, one of the commentaries I read did this, and I found it helpful. It's like little, little steps, right? First John 2, 20 and 21. Uh, we're going to learn that our continual knowing the truth is a gift from God, right? Our continual knowing the truth. Not knowing of the truth, but knowing the truth is a gift from God. So uh, let's look at the text and see how this unpacks, right? He starts off by saying, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And so before I get too far into this, let me just say this, this idea of you have is the idea of you have it, you possess it right now. John is talking to believers, genuine believers of Jesus Christ. He's not talking to the Antichrist. He's not talking to those who are on the fence or are unbelievers. He's talking to genuine believers, and he says, you own this. You have it in your possession right now. It is part of who you are. It is something that's happened in the past, and, and, and you've never lost it, right? You have this. What do, what do we have? An anointing. Would anyone like to volunteer in front of this big crowd and it defined for us what an anointing is? This is not terminology that we use in our everyday life. The fact is this word is only used four times. This, this word, as it is here, uh, is used only uh, four times, three times, and it's all in the verses we're going to look at today. John liked this word, but why did he like it? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So as we focus on this, the root of the word, he's doing a, what they call a word play. And this is a common thing in Greek. It's common in the New Testament, really. And probably the Old Testament too, but I'm more familiar with it in the New Testament. As we look at these, uh, let's go to the middle one first because we're familiar with this. Christ. Christos. All right? C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S. Right? We usually take off the O-S and we just call it Christ. It's Greek letters, uh, English letters that just match up to the Greek. And so we go from Christos to Christ. Duh, right? That's easy. The fact is, though, that he is using chrisma to talk about the anointing that we have, and he has already finished talking about the anti-Christos, or the antichrist. John is just, he's got this thing about this word, and I think what's drawing John's attention to this is there, he's, he's, he's warning his people, the people that he knows and loves, these genuine believers, There are false teachers out there. There are false Christs out there. There are those preaching a false gospel. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. It's the end times. So he's saying that this charisma, not charisma, but this charisma, this anointing is yours. And so uh, that's what we're, he's not saying it's Christ. He's just, but notice the wordplay. I just, and then we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it. Some take this to mean, this, this anointing, to mean the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul talks about the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, it might be Peter, but uh, talks about the baptism of the Spirit. And some commentators think that this might be John's way of, of, in the context that he's writing, of just saying, listen, the anointing, this baptism of the Spirit, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling all 
genuine believers in Jesus Christ. So some take this to mean the Holy Spirit. Others take this to mean uh, to believe they, uh, they believe that this is talking about the Word of God, that they ha- it's a gift from God, right? It's, it's the anointing. You've been anointed uh, with the Word of God. The anointing that we're familiar with in the Old Testament would be anointing of a priest or a king. They come with anointing oil. Uh, even in the New Testament, you know, we can anoint those who are sick with oil. So there's this idea of anointing something, doing something to someone. It's the idea of setting them apart for some special purpose in the Old Testament as king or prophet or priest or whatever it might be. Um, so we, have, we know anointing is not foreign to us as we talk about Scripture. But, but so as we think about, is it the Holy Spirit? That's the way I'll mostly refer to it, to be honest with you. But it could also be uh, the Word of God, the gift. that you know, God revealed Himself to us, and, and, and we have the revelation in our hands. Now, they had the Old Testament and, much, and probably many of the New Testament writings, I'm assuming, were circulating the area by this time because when, when, uh, John's an old man at this point, uh, probably in his 90s, I think. Uh, so I, I think what, the way I've kind of settled it is since the Holy Spirit is the agent of inspiration and illumination, we do not have to make a choice. And so that we can allow there's in, in the text. I don't know exactly what the anointing is, but I do know this. Every genuine believer has it, and it is active in our lives, as we'll go on as we see in verse 27. But for right now, we see that the agent of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is the agent of inspiration. That's the idea of the inspiration of all, well, let's just go, let's just look there, right? First, Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We're familiar with this. This is why we talk about the Word of God being totally, uh, it's inspired, totally inerrant, because God is God, and He has revealed Himself to us. Verse 17 says that the man or woman or child of God may be complete, that idea is mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The idea is that we have the Word of God. It is sufficient to mature us. And that is why we, we engage in it so often as we do and why we think it's so highly important that others engage in it. And we, we engage with it throughout the week and, and on every weekend and every Lord's Day. We come to the central time of our worship. We sing in worship. We pray in worship. We read scripture in worship. But we, we preach in worship and we listen in worship. And as we think about this, this is part of us being thoroughly equipped for the good work that God has called us to do. So, so when we think about this, he says, you have an anointing, and notice, it's from the Holy One. So let me just emphasize this, all right? Let's just get this out of the way, too. The Holy One is either speaking about Jesus uh, or God the Father. It's talking about one or the other. Uh, once again, there is no reason to force a choice. We know we're talking about God. He, John just uses the term Holy One, and he's not specific. But in the context, we're going to see he talks about Really, he talks about the Father and the Son, and I believe by uh, talking about the anointing, he's also talking about the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to choose this, but he says, listen, he goes, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. All right, we've, so I'm just walking through. All these details are right at the beginning, and so I've got to get you these little details so that we can, it'll make sense as we go through. But he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Let me ask you. How many of you in here know all things? Because that word all, I saw, I saw a child raise his hand. I thought it was pretty good. All right? All right? Everything I need to know, I learned in kindergarten, right? Um, 
So listen, this all things, it's the word here, all, it can either modify things in the New King James or can actually modify you. So it could be all things or all you or from the South, y'all, all right? So this is how it's, it's uh, used in different versions, right? In the New King James, it's all things. Uh, in the ESV, the Holman Christian Standard Version, the New American Standard, it's all you all or all of you. And, and so now, as I, I believe that, that those are accurate, all right, I think it's more in line with the context. And so, but I want to just pause and say something. Every once in a while, I'll say these things and not show it on a slide. And I'll say, I like this translation better uh, than the current one. Uh, and I had a brother in Christ in all sincerity. This is, this is a good thing, right? He's saying, when you, when you do that, it kind of confuses me or it may confuse others. And so I wanted to just call it out today, right? It's not the fact that three verses one, and actually the New King James represents the King James translation, so it would be three against two, three wins, right? No, that is not, that is not the reason to go with a choice of a translation. It's to, by showing you this, is to help you understand that good, solid translations make different choices, and it does impact the way you understand some things. It's not changing any doctrine. Right? There's no doctrine being changed here. I think we all understand that to know all things, if we really mean all things, we don't know all things. In the context, he's, Mike, he's likely saying, if it is that, it's saying you know all that is necessary to know. I'm good with that, right? It's all that is necessary. And so that's probably what it would mean if it was used that way. Uh, but it, it used in, in, with the other three, with you all or all of you, I believe that the following verses focus on the truth Christians know. So he's actually bringing up to us this idea of you know, all of you know something. All of you have knowledge. And the rest of the verses are going to unpack that knowledge that they know. So I, I think that's why I'm making that, but I wanted to go through a little bit longer explanation so you don't think I'm just choosing my favorite version, right? That's not, that's not the way it works, all right? Other times I will stick with the New King James, right? There's no reason not to. It's a good, solid translation, all right? So please don't take it as favorites. That's not what it's about. I believe in the context, you all is talking about you all, including me. We all know something. What is it that we know? Well, he says, listen, I have, uh, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you, know, uh, and, and you all know you have knowledge. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And so I, I decided to put it in the, in the positive. He puts it in the negative. He starts, says, I, I have not written to you uh, because you do not know the truth. So let's just make it positive. I have written to you because the truth you know. You possess a certain knowledge as Christians. And, and so we're going to get with the content of this, what this is. But, but what's true of them is true of you if, you've, if you are a genuine Christian, uh, a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. All right? He says this truth that you know there are no lies in the truth. And, and so that, that kind of goes back to the very beginning with the illustration of chicken tenders, all right? I mean, chicken tenders, it's great. And I wish I had eaten the best chicken tenders in the whole entire world, but I did not. It's a lie. Sorry, right? It's not true. 
Uh, and how often do you see these advertising campaigns that say stuff like that? And we all just let it brush off. And that's fine. We can let it brush off. It's no big deal. It's not changing my world. It's a great sermon illustration. The fact is, the gospel never changes, and there is no lie that is of the truth. There's no mixing truth and lies. We've already covered this, right? 99.99% truth and 0.0001 whatever of lie. It's a lie. There is no lie of the truth, and so therefore we have to stand fast on the truth. And that's, so that's what we're saying here is uh, in, in John's context, uh, this is one from one of the uh, commentators. It says, the knowledge that the cessationists, secessionists, excuse me, not sensation, the secession. Okay, how many of you are from Texas? Few people, right? Raise them high, raise them proud, all right? What's the thing about Texas that sticks out in history? They were going to secede from the union. They were going to say, hey, we don't agree. We're, we're out of here. Right? And I, I've often said when the political scene gets too dicey, like, and I don't like it, I'm like, I'm moving to Texas, and I hope they secede. I hope they finish what they started. And I've never done that, and they never have, and I hope they never do. But it's the idea, listen, that someone who has left, John is talking to genuine Christians about the those who have the spirit of the Antichrist who have left. Remember, they left of their own free will as well as God made them manifest that they were not, they were never of us. All right? So he says the knowledge that the secessionists have does not make the believers ignorant. That's what they were saying. We're leaving because we have special knowledge that most of you need to follow us to get. Ooh, we have the secret ingredient. No, John says it makes the cessationists liars, right? All right. Boy, I just had a scene from Princess Bride go through my, my mind. Uh, my daughter loves that movie. And if you remember that scene, you're laughing with me. I just got to move on. I'm running out of time, all right? It says it's confirming the assertion of verse 19 that they were never truly part. They were never genuinely believers, right? So, so as we talk about this, our continual knowledge of the truth is a gift from God. This continual is we, we have it in the past, and we still have it. We haven't jettisoned it. We know the truth. The truth is what? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. In 1 John 20, 2, 22 and 23, we see the content of the truth is the gospel. The reason that we are motivated to get out of bed in the morning. Remember gospel motivation? The gospel is for every person at every moment. It's that idea. It, this is what should get us out of bed in the morning. The content of the truth that we know, because God has allowed us to know it, is the gospel. I'm taking this again from John's negative terminology. I'm spinning it to the positive side, all right? I don't think I'm violating scripture, all right? It's the idea of, he, call, he says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He says, a liar, one who has the spirit of the Antichrist, denies that Jesus is the Christ. They're all around us, folks. And some of them have left our churches and started their own cults and and started their own uh, uh, ways of of worshiping the God they want to worship, which is not the genuine God of the Bible. He says, listen, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Um, a liar denies Jesus. So I thought to myself, if we're, if we're talking, if we're, if we're building off of this idea that the content of the truth is the gospel, 
then what happens if you take Jesus out of it? All right, so let, let's look. I didn't actually, my slide won't represent it, but here's God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. This is us walking through the gospel. I, didn't, I don't have a slide that takes Jesus out. I just didn't think to do that in time, right? But just let's walk through this with me just real quick. This is the gospel. God created man who fell into sin and brought death into the world. And there's something about a cross, faith, and life. What does that mean if you take Christ out of it? They have no significance whatsoever. It, without Christ, crosses are just that, a tool used to kill people. And faith, it's empty, it's devoid, it means nothing. And this eternal life never happened without Christ. But we have Christ. And this is why we can walk through and say, God created man who fell into sin and therefore brought death in the world. But praise God, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came into the world, died on the cross, and all those who have faith in Him and what He has done have eternal life. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. So this is the gospel. So a liar denies that Jesus is the Christ, but it actually has other consequences other realities. A liar denies the Father and the Son. Now, this is, think about this for a second. Let's say you're a religious uh, Jewish person back in the day. Jesus' day, John's day. Let's just say John's day. All these, all these very faithful who believe in the God of heaven, but they deny the Son. They are being motivated by the spirit of Antichrist. That's bad news. Because they're not the only ones. They are the ones, I think it's the saddest story of all, is someone who thinks they know God and doesn't. They think they've come to a genuine knowledge. And if I can say this, I have loved ones that believe that they have a genuine relationship with God. And from my understanding of Scripture... They do not. And I love my loved ones. And actually, God just moved to me yesterday. I texted two of them and just said, can we talk? Can we talk about 1 John chapter 2 and what it means for me and what it means for you? They are willing to talk, but they are well-vested in their beliefs, and it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit that their minds are changed. So we have to understand a liar is a liar. And in the, in the context of the gospel, someone that's lying about Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, right? The Anointed One, it's not just Jesus they're denying. They're denying the Father because the Father sent the Son. So we see that faith in the truth, the gospel, unites us to God the Father and God the Son. We're going to see that unpack in the next couple verses and, and, uh, as we go through here. But I'm going to add in here, it also unites us to the Holy Spirit because I'm taking that, that uh, the anointing that we received as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, at least part of that anointing, if not the full anointing, right? So I think we have uh, a representation of the Trinity here. This is a Trinitarian text in, in my mind. And, and we have often said that we are triune dependent. What does that mean? It's this. We are triune dependent. This idea that God alone brings the results. Well, what results are we talking about? Our salvation. 
Your salvation, my salvation. Oh, the one thing I forgot to mention in the first service, and I'll share it with you folks so you get some extra info, right? Is you know how I've been phrasing all these slides in the first person so that you will adopt them? I'm not doing this time because the, the word you, the pronoun you in the plural, is throughout this whole section, and it's moved right into points of emphasis. You know you have, you abide. This is talking about all of us as the you, right? So faith in the truth unites us as individuals, but corporately. The gospel brings us together, right? That's the unique thing about the church. It brings people together who wouldn't normally otherwise be together. We come together. You learned that in the beginning of this class, right? He says, faith in the truth unites us to God the Father and God the Son, and, and for Trinitarian purposes, I'm going to say in the Spirit. So we go on. Whoever denies the Son, this is, this is pretty easy, the negative and the forward, and the positive, right? Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. If you have one, you have both. If you think you only have one, you do not have either. That was pretty easy. All right, let's go into 24 and 25. Faith in the truth unites us to God for eternity. I feel like I, I skipped over something there. So let me just, he, he who denies the Son does not have the Father. All right, uh, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, I think we're, we're good. I think you get that. All right, we got to keep going. All right, verse 24. Faith in the truth, the gospel, unites us to God for eternity. Now, we're going to see this uh, played out in, in the two verses. The first one, this first part, uh, is just uh, verse 24, and it's going to just help us understand that faith in, trust, tr- faith in the truth, the gospel, unites us to God. We're just going to talk about that uniting aspect here for a minute. He says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. We've been here before. John uses a similar terminology. The beginning of what? The beginning of their faith. John is saying, listen, you, you genuine Christians, let that, what's the that? The gospel. Let the gospel abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. The truth that has set you free from your sins and will assure you uh, eternity with God. He says, listen, let the gospel abide in you. Let it dwell in you. Let it be part of who you are, both in the morning and the afternoon and at night. Whatever's going on, let it be what drives you. He says, if, if that is true of you if, you, uh, if what you heard from the beginning, the gospel, abides in you, look at the results. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is just good news, folks. It's gooder and gooder, all right? Uh, just to keep you laughing with that, right? It just gets better and better. This is, the, this is what we know. This should not be news to you as a genuine Christian in Jesus Christ. If this is new to you and you have just come to faith, rejoice in this truth. Because if, it's, it's the idea of if, and I believe it is true, if you've heard from the beginning of if what, I've, what you've heard abides in you, it is dwelling, it is really part of you, John is saying to the believers there, I believe this is true of you, then have confidence you also will abide with the Son and the Father. Don't be worried about these liars out there telling you that somehow you've missed something. You haven't missed anything. You have the gospel. You have the truth. So faith in the truth unites us to God. That's, the gospel brings us into relationship with God. 
for eternity. And that's what he says here in, in this uh, verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. Eternal life, folks. Are you here this morning and you're just kind of wondering, I, I, this whole church thing, I just don't get it. This whole Christian thing, I'm, I'm kind of I'm scratching my head. You know, it's just like, it doesn't seem to be working for me. If this good news doesn't get you motivated to wake up and go and storm the castle, right? Another reference to Princess Bride, sorry. We watched it the other night, it's in my head, all right? Let's go storm the castle, right? That's the idea. No, God has promised eternal life for all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. That sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? wonder where I've heard that before. Oh, you know, it might have been the same author. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's right there. John, John's being repetitive. He's being creative with different terminologies, but he's speaking to a group of people that are struggling with liars thinking that, that are deceiving them to think that maybe they missed something. He goes, you haven't missed anything. You're united with God in the gospel, and your eternal life is secure because God promised it. As we get into these last two verses, we see to abide in Christ, to dwell in Christ, to have this, this relationship with Christ, this fellowship with Christ, to abide in Him means to trust in the unchanging truth. Right? If, do, you want, do you want to abide in Christ? John's already told us. Listen, you know, those who have uh, left darkness and come to light, right? God's, God is light. Come, abide in the light. Abide. And he's saying abide in Christ. If we want to abide in Christ, it means that uh, we must trust the unchanging truth, this gospel that we said we believe. So let me just take you to the very last part of this section, the very last part, because this is the point I think he's ultimately going to draw to and the exhortation he concludes with. And then we'll go back to verse 26. He's saying, listen, and just as he has taught you, you will abide in him. This is one of those words that, again, the construction in the Greek can be used two different ways. It can be a declarative statement. You will abide. And it's true, right? It, uh, just as it has taught you, by knowing the truth, you will abide. He's kind of already said that. He's kind of already said that in the previous verses. So he could just be restating himself, or this particular term could actually be used as an imperative, as a command, in saying, abide. He's saying, you've been given the truth. The truth has connected you to God Live it out. So let's go back to verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Right? We talked about these deceivers, right? But John, notice earlier he says, I'm writing to you. I didn't write to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you do. So he's writing to them because they know the truth. And he says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. You know the truth. Don't let people mess you up. Hold on to the never-changing gospel. I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. This is the reality is they are out there, and they are many, many antichrists. Then verse 27, but the anointing, here we see that word again, but the anointing which you have received. Again, he's already, he said it in the beginning. He said it again. You already possess this anointing. He's, and, and he says, from him, uh, he, he says, but, uh, but, the, excuse me, but the anointing which you have received from him, again, verse 20, the anointing that came from the Holy One, all right, 
It abides in you. The anointing which you have, right, from God, from Jesus, abides in you. It's a declarative statement, right? And you, notice this, uh, you do not need that anyone teach you. The idea there is no one has to teach you anything more. These secessionists, these antichrists, they're coming in and they're adding something to the gospel. And they're saying, I know you believe this, but you need this secret ingredient or it doesn't work. And John's saying, no, that's not the way it is. John is saying, you don't need anyone else to come in and teach you anything more than the gospel. Obviously, they need teachers because John's teaching them, right? And, and the teaching gifting that takes place in churches is certainly, he's not, he's not saying that you know all things, right? Going back to verse 20, therefore, you don't need any teaching, He's saying, no, all of you know, so you don't need anybody to share anything more because there isn't anything more. You add something to the gospel. It's not the gospel. He says, but, uh, oh, I totally messed that. Hey, uh, oh, no, I didn't. All right. You don't need to, that anymore to teach you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the big idea, and this is really in this text. In this one, the gospel of Jesus Christ can never be improved upon. There's nothing that can be added to it. All right? He says, but at the, as the same anointing teaches you uh, concerning all things. Now, in this one, we are talking about all things. All right? He says, listen, this same anointing, the same presence of the Holy Spirit that, that has inspired and illumines God's word, right? It teaches you. The Holy Spirit, if he's the anointed, if that's the anointing we receive. Excuse me. It's getting pretty, pretty wild up here. All right? But it has the same anointing, right? It's teaching. What teaches it? We go to the Word of God for teaching, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. In other words, we have everything necessary to walk through this life in faith because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, which gives us illumination as we enter into the Word of God. And we don't need to worry about these deceivers that are out there in the sense of messing us up. We need to be witnessing to them uh, and drawing them out of the darkness into the light. He says this same anointing, this truth that the concerning, uh, teaching you all things, he's like, listen, it's the, the fact is that it is true and it is not a lie. He, it's, it's kind of bookends from 20 to 27 is the idea of he's saying much the same thing. He's encouraging these people. Then he finishes off with this. And just as it has taught you, right, the anointing and the, and the giving of this truth by God to them, it has taught you, abide in him. Abide in him. So, I, again, just for sake of, of, of walking through it quickly, we know, we have the knowledge of the truth. Our continual knowing the truth. We know it now. We knew it and when we first came to faith. We still know it now. And it's a gift from God. The content of that truth is the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. To ransom those who were in need of forgiveness. Faith in the truth unites us to God. And he to both the Father and the Son, and also unites us for eternity. And that we are to abide in Christ means to trust in the unchanging truth. That word trust, I'm adding that word in there as part of the, uh, as part of the challenge, right? Are we, as genuine believers in the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, are we willing to trust 
in that truth, because that's what we mean when we say the gospel is for every person at every moment. It's not just for salvation. It's what not only gets us out of bed, it is what enables us to face every aspect of life on this side of eternity. So the gospel of Jesus Christ can never be improved upon. That's what I want you to understand. You have something the world can never offer you. So in challenge and in conclusion, let's live it out. Let's live it and let's share it. That is what genuine believers do. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have had to be in your word. Thank you for this particular text and the challenge that it is to each of us to live out our faith, to recognize the the groups, the individuals that are seeking to draw people away to a false gospel. It's all through the spirit of the Antichrist. It's all drawing people to an eternity, uh, experiencing your wrath. Father, I thank you that we, if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, that we have been taught that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God and that our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven and that although we live in this fallen world now, we can actually take confidence and have assurance of our relationship with you because you have revealed yourself to us and you have provided the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all those who've come to faith today that can declare unquestionably, I am a genuine Christian because Christ died for me. But Father, I pray that you'd be with those that are in the hearing of my voice, that are somehow trusting in the religious practices of their family, that are trusting in their goodness as a, as a person compared to other people, uh, those who are trusting in a, a gospel plus something or a gospel minus something. Lord, we just pray that you would convict each and every one of those of their need of Christ. And we pray that people would come to faith because of our witness, both in the way we live out our faith but also because we're willing to share the words of life with them. Draw people to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.